Morning, everyone. So I love it how um, power couples are such a thing at the moment. Like, I'm not much of a fan of celebrities in general, usually most of the time, but there's something about power couples that's kind of intriguing. I love hearing what they're up to. I love it how there's something about them, like they're forced to be reckoned with or something. So um, here's one. Oh, go back. <laughs> yeah, I'm working at the moment. Thanks, Pam. <laughs> if it stops working from here, I'll let you know. So couples like Barack and Michelle Obama, We've got Beyonce and Jay-Z there, looking mighty fine. Um, I love these guys, Prince Harry and Meghan, and uh, George and Amal Clooney. Pretty, pretty amazing people, I reckon. Um, people who have found and made a partnership with, with another person which causes the other to excel to heights that they couldn't on their own, and to grow maybe in depths of character that they wouldn't have discovered without their partner challenging them in love and perhaps have even um, a greater impact in this world in a way that wouldn't have been possible if they weren't together. So I think there's something really inspiring about power couples. Something that highlights the mystery of the power of partnership. The power of partnership. Now, whether you're single or married, old or young, what I want you to go away with today is that there's a partnership of power that God has promised you and has called you into. A partnership that's much greater than that of the Obamas or the Clooney's. A partnership with his spirit. A partnership that secures you, empowers you, and emboldens you, such that you can soar, such that you can do even greater works than these, as Jesus said. Such that you are now an essential agent in God's salvation work in history, in God's drama of redemption. So today we're going to look at this passage in Acts chapter 2 and we're going to unpack what it means for us to be partners with his spirit. So last week Jerome gave us an in-depth look at this event of Pentecost, this drama of the spirits coming upon his people. And we heard and imagined how the spirit came in power upon the disciples with what looked like tongues of fire and enabled them to proclaim the works of God in a whole variety of different languages. And Peter, who was one of those filled with the Spirit and emboldened by this supernatural power, he stands up and addresses the crowd and explains the connection of what was happening in the coming of the Spirit with who Jesus was and what had happened to him with his death, resurrection and ascension. And Peter ends his speech in verse 36, just before we um, um, got to our verse in our reading today. He says, Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the Spirit's coming points to and confirms who Jesus is and what he has done. He points us to Jesus and confirms that he's both God and Lord and the Saviour of the world. Peter and the disciples not only now have the external word of the prophets and the Old Testament. They have their witness of Jesus as the word incarnate, but now also the Holy Spirit, the one who is of the same essence of the Father and the Son, who is the inward confirmation of that word. 
And then from where our reading begins today, the scene turns to the response of the crowd. And we read that they are cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? And Peter sets out the steps. Repent, turn your lives and your hearts back to God so that you can receive God's gift of forgiveness and be baptised and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the point that I want to highlight from that verse is that our partnership with the Spirit is promised. It's promised to all believers, to all who have turned to Jesus for forgiveness and thrown their lives on the mercy of God. Some Christians live, though, as if a relationship with the Holy Spirit is not for them, like it's an optional extra, maybe for the extremely devoted or the eccentric types, as if being indwelt by the living presence of God isn't a part of our salvation or not a part of the good news, the gospel that we've received. Remember what Jesus promised back in the Gospel of John. He said, the Father will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So part of what Jesus achieved for us, his death, resurrection and ascension, is a life indwelt by the Trinity through the Spirit. This is promised to us. And here in Acts chapter 2, what Peter says is that at the core of the gospel is the offer of the gift of the Spirit, right alongside the offer of the gift of forgiveness. You see, we are saved for a new life lived in the context of God's forgiveness and in partnership with the Spirit. Look at verse 39, Peter says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So notice that this promise has no limits. Even children and people from other cultures and backgrounds, people who are far away, are promised this gift and this partnership. So a relationship with the Spirit isn't just for really good Christians, And we don't have to meet a certain type of standard to receive the Spirit or be a certain type of person. But this promise is for everyone who believes, for everyone who the Lord calls to himself. If you believe, if you believe that you've been called by grace to a new way of life with God, if you believe that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, if you believe that you are adopted into God's family through Jesus, then receiving the Holy Spirit goes with it. He has saved you to indwell you. And this leads me to my second point. Our partnership with the Spirit has a purpose. He has saved us to indwell us for a purpose, for a reason. So let's continue thinking about the scenes of this narrative. From verse 41, the focus shifts from Peter and the crowd to the thousands of people who have converted to follow Christ. The rest of this chapter talks about the life and character of this new community. And actually, this description is a broad overview for the detail that will follow in the rest of the book of Acts. In verse 42, we see that they gather together in their homes and in the synagogue for teaching, prayer, fellowship, and to share meals with each other. 
In verse 43, we see that there's signs and wonders happening, causing the wider community to be in awe. In verses 45, 44 to 45, we see a radical generosity being practiced in the unity and care among all believers. And in verses 46 and 47, we see their devotion to gathering together to worship God and enjoy life together, especially over food. <laughs> and I think it's important to highlight that there's a pattern that's emerging through this description. We see that this new community has three directions of intent, up, in, and out. Up, in devotion to God, through worship, teaching, and prayer, and being intent on spiritual formation. In, as they shared life with one another and cared for each other's needs, both physical and spiritual, and grew as Jesus' disciples together. And out, as they related intentionally with those outside the faith community, with those outside um, their fellow believers and had an impact beyond their Christian circle. And if you think about it, this is just like the pattern of life that Jesus demonstrated. So these early believers were following what they had seen and learnt from Jesus' example. They were actually continuing in the pattern and ministry of Christ. And the result of this three-way devotion, this lifestyle of intentionality for spiritual formation, community and mission, is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, as we read in verse 47. Something incredible was happening through this partnership between the Holy Spirit and these followers of Jesus. More and more people were being saved. The community of faith was growing. The rule and reign of the ascended Jesus was being actualized in the transformation of people's lives, the transformation of their communities through the grace of Christ. And the vessels of this grace being who? The Spirit and the church the spirit and the people of God. So if we think about the bigger picture of what was happening at this point in history, think about the drama that Jerome was explaining last week. Think about the movements of God in history to this point, his creation and deliverance of a nation, Israel, that would be the means of blessing for the whole world. His markers of righteousness and justice through the law and prophets his holy presence in the tabernacle and temple, and all these things perfectly fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Saviour, Messiah and Lord, the one who forgives and opens up a way to life with God. And now the Holy Spirit is at work through Jesus' followers to continue God's mission of drawing all people to himself. So what we see in chapter 2 of Acts is how we how you, me, and the capital C Church are now partners, agents, characters in this drama of redemption. History makers with God in the big salvation story. Let me say this again. We are now partners in God's drama of redemption. The church with the Spirit and now partners actualizing God's salvation for the world. 
So our partnership with the Holy Spirit has a purpose, a big purpose, an essential purpose in God's really big, awesome plans. And finally, our partnership with the Spirit is a shared participation. Look at how through this passage there's like a synergy of action. The Spirit fills Peter and Peter preaches to the crowd. Through Peter's speech, the Spirit convicts people and cuts them to the heart, causing them to know their need for the gospel and respond to Jesus' invitation. The apostles and community of Jesus' followers testify to God's work and the Spirit confirms the truth of their testimony through signs and wonders. And the believers live out Jesus' ethics in their everyday lives, in a bonded and life-giving community. And God, through the Spirit, adds to their numbers daily those who are being saved. Can you see this pairing of action in God's work? See the nature of this partnership between the church and the Spirit. How both are faithfully ministering, both doing what they're meant to do. And notice too that it's not just one of the apostles moving in the Spirit's power, but now the whole community of believers, the church as a whole, participating with the Spirit in the mission of God. And see how when believers step out in faith through their words and their deeds and their prayers, the Spirit is right there confirming the truth, convicting hearts and bringing more people to salvation. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. What does it mean to be a co-worker with the Holy Spirit? When we think about partnerships, whether they be marital partnerships, business partnerships, professional partnerships, or any other partnership we might have where we're working um, with someone, we're in it together to achieve a goal. Both partners have to pull their weight, don't they? <laughs> they both have responsibilities to fulfill to make the partnership successful. If one of the partners isn't participating, it's just not a partnership, is it? So think about the kind of co-worker that you might like to work with. You'd probably want a co-worker who shows enthusiasm and willingness, who has trained and practiced their skill to be qualified to work with you, who is someone who listens to you and respects you and can dialogue with you. And you'd want someone with great character, someone who's really nice to work with, otherwise their skills don't really matter for much. Do you think that these are also the kinds of things that the Spirit wants in his co-workers? And if so, are there areas that you think the Spirit wants you to be developing in as his partner in this? Are there things that you can step up in, train for, develop more intentionally in your life? Another way I like to think about partnering with the Spirit is um, through being obedient to his nudges. I like that word, nudge. Spiritual nudges. <laughs> it could be that he reminds you of someone, you just you know randomly think of someone and you're like, oh, yeah, I haven't spoken to that person for a while, I wonder how they're doing. And then maybe that's a prompt for you to send them a text or get in touch, see how they're going, see if they want to catch up. Maybe it could be a nudge to pray for someone or to pray for healing for someone. 
It could be that you have a dream or a word kind of that's just sitting in your heart, which might be God inviting you to pray about a particular situation, which might be a nudge that God wants you to share a word of encouragement with someone. It could be a nudge to really um, step out on a limb and um, tell someone of your testimony of how you became a Christian. And maybe to ask them if they want to pray with you regularly or read the Bible with you for a season. It could be the nudge to invite them along to church or to a Bible study group. Or it could be the nudge to be really radically generous towards someone in need. Ordinary, everyday nudges of the spirit. But they might mean reorganising your life a bit, rejigging your priorities. They might mean being willing to be inconvenienced. They might mean stepping out of your comfort zone and going out there on a limb from time to time. But what they will mean is the spirit moving through you. It will mean beginning to see the power of the spirit at work through you, through your obedience as you follow through with what the spirit's laying on your heart, as you learn to move with him. And so while all of this is God's work, it's him who calls people to himself. It's him who's growing his church. It's him who empowers us to act. We can't ignore our role in this partnership. We're the living vessels of his presence and power. We, the church, have been commissioned to continue the work of God in salvation history. Now, we might not think we're a powerful person like the Apostle Peter who we read about or a great speaker who can talk clearly about our faith. We might not think that we've got a really impactful ministry of prayer or that our works of love and kindness could ever affect a whole community. We might not think that God could ever possibly work miracles through us or that God can't use us to help others know him. But why not? Not all that long ago, I thought that I could never preach. I'm here. And not all that long ago, I thought that I was no way an evangelist. But I've seen how God has used my prayers, my friendships, my compassion, and my willingness to have a go at sharing what I believe to bring people into a relationship with him. Why do we think and live like disempowered, insignificant and incapable people? Why do we accept that lie that we're just another mediocre religious group? When in fact we're divinely ordained, commissioned and empowered to make history with God. What are the lies that are holding you back? I'm too weak, too busy, too inadequate, too shy, not gifted enough, not confident enough, not smart enough, not bold enough, not good enough. Well, God wants to say, enough with the enoughs. I am enough. My spirit in you is more than enough. My spirit in you is more than enough. 
There's a famous quote from Virginia Woolf that I was reminded of this week, which says, I feel a thousand capacities spring up in me. Guys, when we start to step into the reality and the truth of this extraordinary partnership with the Spirit, we're going to feel a thousand capacities springing up in us from him. Capacities you didn't even know you had. Capacities that we might have only ever dreamed of. But he will do it. Let's not grieve the Spirit by doubting his purpose and presence and power in us. Let's not fail to live up to this call to partner with him. Let's allow the spirit to be greater than our self-consciousness. Let's not fail to participate with God in changing history, but rather let's arise in faith and start leaning into and living into this partnership with the spirit for his mission. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at how we've been saved to participate with you in your mission in our world. Holy Spirit, we long to be people who are learning to move and partner with you, to learn how to follow the pattern of Christ in intentionally living up, in and out. Help us know the truth about what it means to be people who have you, the Spirit of God, indwelling us. To know what it means to live in this partnership of power that you've called us to. To know and experience the reality of those thousand capacities springing up in us as we serve you as your co-workers. Embolden us to exercise those capacities to be obedient to your nudges and to testify to Jesus' work in our lives. And as we learn to partner with you, we pray that more will come to know you, more will have their lives changed by your grace, more will be drawn to know and follow you. Lord, that you would add to our number daily those who are being saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.